We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. So, Sean, let's dive into the last part of our conversation, and let's talk about what makes an elite coach. Mm-hmm. And let's just – I'll have you introduce kind of where this came from because this came from a conversation that you were having that then led into a conversation that we were having. Yeah, so we always talk about culture. Once again, it's a great annex to the conversation we had last week. And we talk about culture, and we talk about coaching. And being a baseball guy that I am, I've seen some boobs in the dugout win World Series. Like over the course of 162 games, maybe the manager really truly impacts maybe 10% of those games. And everything is probably magnified even more in the playoffs for managers. But when you have guys like Ned Yost that win World Series, it's like, man. So my question to you when we had the discussion was, do you have to have an elite coach to win a national championship, which we brought up, Gus, uh, not Gus Malzahn, but the other. Uh, Gene Chizik. Gene Chizik. Right. That won a championship. And does an elite coach have right. to be, no, vice versa. We can right. Like what right? makes an elite coach? Like, what and it's not just, the point was, it's not just winning a championship because right. Ed Orgeron has a ring. Right. Right. Like right. Gary Patterson doesn't. Right. You know, uh, Gene Chizik has a ring. Right. You know, but Kirk Ferentz doesn't. Right. Does anyone want to try to tell me that Gene Chizik's a better coach than Kirk Ferentz? Does anyone try to tell me Ed Orgeron's a better coach than David Shaw? <laughs> right. Like, you know, so it's like, okay, so then what does make an elite coach? Yeah. And do right? you have to be an elite recruiter? Right. To be an elite coach. Right. And I think the point you made is very much because it makes me think about Bill Snyder. And I think. Bill Snyder identified who he could get at Kansas State. And from that blueprint, he was right. an elite recruiter, especially when it came to right. the JUCO ranks Right back in those days. He was an elite JUCO recruiter. I wouldn't call him an elite recruiter, just the normal way of recruiting. Right. But in order for his program to be at his best, he was an elite recruiter right. along those lines. 
And most will say he probably for a long time was probably the second best coach in the Big 12. Maybe second or third best coach in the Big 12. Depending on depending on how you define it. And that's ultimately what this conversation came down to. Is Absolutely. What defines an elite coach? Defines it, yeah. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Whether you're a world-class athlete or a podcaster like me, we all understand the importance of mental and physical well-being and proper recovery for top-notch performance. That's why I'm excited that Unified Healing is sponsoring this podcast. Unified Healing is a new and super innovative global network of wellness centers powered by Energy Enhancement System, or EE System. If you haven't heard of the EE System, you'll want to listen up. This technology promotes wellness, deep relaxation, purification, and rejuvenation. At hundreds of locations across the globe, access to a center is easy and affordable. Interested in experiencing the EE system technology for yourself? Go to unifiedhealing.com slash bluewire to learn more and find a center near you. That's unifydhealing.com slash bluewire. No material or testimonials on the Unified Healing website are intended to be viewed as medical advice or a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified healthcare provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition or treatment and before undertaking a new healthcare regimen, including EE system. And that was the fun part of the conversation because to me, my my whole per- my whole point is, I think in, in, in when it comes to media, especially Sean, you see it all the time. They rank the top five and it's basically the top five teams in the country. Yeah. Yeah. And, and I would say, you know, I don't think that's the right way to define what makes a great coach. It's not the rings per se. I think the rings are a byproduct of what makes you an elite coach, but you can still be an elite coach and not have rings because you chose to stay at a place like Gary Patterson, the TCU. Yeah. Bill Snyder is a great example. I mean, Bill Snyder was, did a great job at Kansas state. He leaves, they suck. He comes back, they get good again. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know what yeah, I mean? Yeah. And, you know, you, you look at the consistency with which Kirk Ferentz has done what he's done at Iowa for a long time. And, and you know, the point I made is, like, is if Nick Saban's never left Michigan State, does Michigan State have six rings? Uh, Probably I don't even not. know if they have one. Yeah. You know, maybe. Maybe they'd have snuck one in one year. But I think, to me, an elite coach is, are you maximizing – the potential of your program over a period of time. Yeah. And, you know, and that's why I've always had a great deal of respect for Mark D'Antonio as a coach anyway. And there's other areas I don't respect Mark D'Antonio, but as far as, I mean, he, he got the most out of his program for five, six years. I mean, yes, he did he a did. really nice job. Is he an elite coach? No, he's not an elite coach, but he did a really nice job there. Yeah. 
And so to me, it's, it's about, you know, maximizing your program's potential or surpassing it, which is what I think Dabo has done at Clemson. And, and, because there's, I don't know. I mean, Kirby Smart's not having the success at Clemson that Dabo's had. No. Uh, I don't know if Nick Saban could have, but he'd about the ability, maybe the only one, you know, because I think even him, he, he needs that program that he can kind of do the process thing that's effective, that you can get away with at Bama, that you maybe can't get away with at Clemson or, you know, other programs, which is, right. you know, so, so that's my whole thing. And I know a lot of people don't like Dabo for other reasons, but the guy's an elite coach because look what he's done. He's done for a decade at Clemson, right? He's, he's maximized that program's potential yeah. and then some for a decade. And it started before Deshaun. I mean, the last couple of years of Taj Boyd were pretty stinking good. Yeah. You know, me beat Urban Meyer in Ohio State in a in a, in the Orange Bowl. Beat yeah. SLSU in the year before and I think it was the was a Chick-fil-A bowl or Peach Bowl or something like that. Yeah. So he had that program ascending even before. Deshaun helped take him way like over the top. Deshaun and Trevor, but they Taj Boyd's the guy that laid that foundation. He doesn't get enough credit for that. So then it's like, you know, what what does an elite coach have to have a title? No, I don't think that he does. I think it helps a guy that's done it like would Bobby was Bobby Bowden an elite coach before he won the title in '93? Yes, yes. They were a top five team every single year, and he took over a program that wasn't a great program. Yeah, and that's where I give also Dabo and Nick Saban a lot of credit. It's not like they walked into great situations like Ryan Day and Lincoln Riley walked into. Right, they replaced fired coaches. Do right? we even know if Ryan Day is an elite coach yet? No, no. Yeah, he's an elite offensive mind. Yeah. But yeah. is he an elite head coach? I don't think we know the answer. We don't know that. yet. Yeah. Right. Yeah. I mean, look, it's not a coincidence that Lincoln Riley's two worst teams were his last two that were the furthest away from Bob Stoops' tenure. Let's be right. real about that. Right. Because right? I think that's who you're referring to with Bill Snyder being the second best coach in the Big 12 mm-hmm. was Bob Stoops. Yeah. Bob Stoops is another one. Bob Stoops replaced a couple fired coaches. He didn't walk into it. He lost a flipping Bob Davey in his first year. Right. Right. So did Pete Carroll, you know. Uh, it takes some time. Pete Carroll walked in and replaced unsuccessful coaches. Yeah. So, you know, to me, that's kind of what I look for is, did you maximize the potential of your program? And did you do it over a period of time? And again, it, and and because the reason period of time is important, because you could say Gene Chizik maximized the potential of Auburn's program in 2010, won a stinking national championship. Right. But that's I think that's why it has to be over a period of time, because then you don't have like that fluky, hey, we were great that three years that we had. Perfect example, Vince Dooley, one of the most overrated coaches in the history of college football, in my opinion. Right? He was great at for like a three-year stretch when he had some four-year stretch when he had some dude named Herschel Walker. Go look at his success outside that four-year stretch of Herschel Walker and tell me he was an elite coach. He was not an elite coach. Right. And that's 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 where I'm coming from. Is like yeah. he's got that ring, but that ring wasn't because of him. He, he just happened to land that generational player. And that's why I also give Dabo credit because he did it with two generational players. And once you do it a couple, you kind of start getting the credit for being the one to bring in those generational players. Yeah. You know what I mean? And, and so to me, an elite coach is that now, and then the conversation becomes, Sean, what do you need to do to be an elite coach? And that's where the recruiting part comes up. So like, to me, there's like five things that make up an elite coach. An elite coach understands and has the ability to create a disciplined program. And discipline isn't like, isn't necessarily Notre Dame didn't win in 88 because Lou Holtz made them take their hats off in the building. They had to take their hats off in the building was, it was deeper than that. 
it was about instilling a sense of discipline and taking pride in every single aspect of your life. Yes. Your locker, you know, how you conduct yourself, what you wear, how you do this, how you do that. All those things are part of discipline because I can't ask a kid to be disciplined for 60 minutes on a Saturday if I'm not asking him to be disciplined on Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, and all the different aspects of what he's doing. Yeah. And you've heard the Norian plays like he walked in there and like immediately he starts like, sit up, do this, do that, take your hat off. Right. And I was like, oh, shoot. Now, all of a sudden, that guy starts listening. Hey, everybody, what's happening there? I'm so happy to be here. Like, no, he established day one. Bam, we're going to do it my way. Right. But it wasn't in a way where it was like, you know, smacking dudes upside the back of the head and, you know, where he was a mean guy that you didn't like. You respected him. I think preparation, a, an elite head coach has to be great at preparation. And preparation is 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 as much in the offseason as it is preparation going into a game. Can you build a team mm-hmm. properly from January to, to the end of spring, then from spring to summer, yeah. and how do you handle fall camp? And then, of course, there's a preparation getting ready for games. Uh, a, a, a great An elite coach has to be someone who's great at developing. Now, all these things also require that you hire coaches that can accomplish those goals. That's a, another part of it. And then the, the other part of being a great coach is you have a great coach has to be someone who can give his players a sense of purpose. Yeah. And I think when you look at all the great coaches, with very few exceptions, I believe Urban Meyer is one of those exceptions. You have to be someone who's who's able to to get your players to a sense of purpose, and it's different for every program. It was different for Lou Holtz than what it was for Nick Saban, and it's different for Nick Saban than what it is for Dabo Sweeney. And that's to come from who you are. But what I mean, sense of purpose, Sean, it's why am I up at six o'clock in the morning running when there's no lights on? Right. And it's not because I want to win a title. It's 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 that may be what in their minds they think, but what's in their heart is, is you know because coach said I should, and you know it's and it's about building them as men. It's about building yeah. them as you know as football players and, and it, all the aspects of it. Right? Yeah. You give them a sense of purpose. Al- Nick Saban is a master at giving his teams a sense of purpose. Yeah. And and I think Dabo has done the same thing, and they do it completely differently. I think I think I think Urban actually it's funny is I would uh, Urban Meyer thinks had many teams that should have won titles that didn't. They came up short. I I, yeah. I can't say that I say that about it. I think Nick Saban's pretty much won titles most years. He's had the best team in the country. And he's won a couple when he didn't. I mean the the 2017 Alabama team was not the best team in the country. No. No. They were the best coach team in the country that year. I still think Oklahoma was the best team in the country that year. They weren't the best coach team in the country that year. So that says something, right? The mm-hmm. best team. Most talented team, I should say. Yes. The, the yeah. Blew a big lead in the semifinals. Mm-hmm. And then to a Jake Fromm. Jake yeah. freaking Fromm. Yes. 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 So who really should have been, yeah. been Notre Dame right. playing in that game. But, but what was what was the purpose that Oklahoma teams went out and played each game with? Right. Like what was the what was the the you know, you, when you watch when you listen to the Clemson players talk, there's always like you can hear certain things from them that you're like, oh, OK, I see what Dabo's doing with this team. Yeah, I get you know, when you look at Nick Saban's teams, there's always like, man, OK, so this year he's this is what he's hammering on. Right. But then you have the process and it's like, why is he picking up? Why? Why is this the thing that Nick Saban's harping on in fall camp? Because he's giving him a sense of purpose. Right. Like yeah. this is what our focus is going to be. Yeah. Yeah. With 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 guys like Ryan Day and Lincoln Riley, my concern is, do they know how to do that, or are they just great schemers? Yeah, because I think that's different in the NFL. It's a little it's a little bit different, but even then, 
in the NFL, there's a, you know, it's like, Hey, let's win one for this guy, or let's do this for this or whatever the case may be. You know what I mean? And, but I think in football, you've got to be able to give players purpose because it is such a violent, challenging, emotionally, physically, character-wise challenging sport, Sean, that if you don't give them a sense of purpose, then it's impossible to create preparation, discipline, and all those other things. Because purpose to me, people say, you know, you got to be able to bring a team together. That's what I think purpose is, is what's the thing that you can rally your football team around and focus towards. And it can't just be winning a title. And the great coaches understand that the winning title is the end game, but what, what are we, what's the vehicle to get us there? Yeah. And it's different every year for yes. It's different every year because your team is different mm-hmm. every year. So yep. the great coaches, the elite coaches can, let me tell you something, man, that I'll never forget. Uh, my grandfather told me, son, your powers and your parameters mm-hmm. as I was growing up. And he was always telling me, you know, be different, be you, your powers and your parameters. And what that does that gives you a focus on, what your purpose is inside of here. Focus mm-hmm. on that and building that on a daily basis. And that will keep out the outside distractions. If you, we're in a society now that dislikes parameters. No one wants to be told what to do, given instructions, mm-hmm. do it like this. Everybody wants to be left open to do it their own way. And one of the, and probably the most important team sport or biggest display of a team sport, which is football. You can't win without parameters. Like mm-hmm. that's what a game plan is. Like this is our parameters for this right. week facing this team. This is why a coach like Nick Saban can win by 30 and be ticked off. It's the process. Right? Because the scoreboard is not – that's not a, a true reflection of us playing – the way we're supposed to play. Sometimes we can just be better athletically mm-hmm. and the ball bounces our way and the scoreboard will say we're 30 points better than the other team. Mm-hmm. An elite coach will take that and say, you know what? I'll see you guys in film tomorrow morning at five. Right. We're going to watch this thing. Right. Right. And the players know like, oh boy, it wasn't good enough. And it doesn't allow you to get stuck in the mud with mediocrity. Right. It causes you to push forward and bring the best out of you. And, you know, that's where your true power is. Understanding that, you know, what's in the parameters and what you set for Lou coming in and saying, sit up. Mm -hmm. Listen, take your hat off when I talk. It's about respect. This is what's accepted and not accepted from a code of conduct standpoint. We're going to have respect within this program. Right. For the head coach. For right. your coaches and for each other. Right. We're setting that standard right now. Right. It wasn't about the hat per se. Why, why do kids have to have clean lockers? Yes. It's not just about discipline. It's about people coming here to clean this thing. And we're not going to leave this freaking pigsty. That's right. For someone who makes 10 bucks an hour, you know what I mean? To come clean. That's it's a it's a it's that's part it's all part of it. It's yeah. this is not how we conduct ourselves. Yes. If someone walks in here, what's that gonna say about our program? Yeah. And and that's why I think when you when you see the great coaches, they they have like you said, Sean, they set parameters in the and you you make the most trivial things. <laughs> like, what, why do I have to sit in the front of the class every day? Yeah, yeah. Because the parameters are we're setting a level of accountability. You can't yeah. fall asleep when you're in the front row. No. You can't be doodling on something else when you're in the front row. Yeah. 
right? I mean, there's a lot of things I can get away with in the back row of a class that I couldn't get away with in the front row. Well, why does coach care that I wear this? I've told a story about how Harry Eastan, you know, had this thing where the kids had to show up with a certain jacket. Yeah. And one of the players, starter, shows up with like the wrong jacket and he makes him go back to the dorm and get the right jacket. He had a jacket, wasn't the right one. And you may think that's like silly, but it's like, but that's like you said, Sean, that's the parameters which he said that's the mindset of right. No, we can't let the small things slide. Because if you do it then, you're gonna do it on fourth and one in the fourth quarter of the national championship game. Absolutely. Right. Absolutely. If we take care of it today, we won't have to worry about it on the field. 100 percent And that's the greatness of elite coaches, understanding that creating a culture for the players and the staff to be able to teach, input that, and the players to be able to say, I buy into this, and this is the way we do things. And when you get to a certain point, which goes back to what we've heard from this coaching staff, on certain things, they're taking the lead of the locker room. Because you can say what you want to say about the predecessor. The players have already set a culture of believing what the next step is because they've been to two college football playoffs. Like that's, okay, that's nothing. Right. We expect to do that. We've done that. Right. Now the expectation is not only to get there, but to go win it. Right. And those are our parameters. And right. every kid that comes in in 23, 24, 20, these are the parameters. We're not coming here just to get there. We're coming right. here to win it. Right. And, and it can't be about talent, Sean. It's It's no. got to be about, and we've said this before, it's about harnessing that talent and putting and everybody focused on the right thing in the right direction yeah. and maximizing. And that's been one of the biggest complaints we've seen in the last five, six years, especially is if you tell, if all, if your response to me about the previous head coaches, well, look at the record yeah. and that's all you got. You're not really telling me anything. Because my question is, how many of those games they win, do you think they weren't the most talented team on the field? There aren't many. No. Even 2020 Clemson. Because once you take Trevor Lawrence and Tyler Davis and Mike Jones and James Skalski off that field, I'm sorry. The talent is much more comparable. Yes. And And even with them on the field. Notre Dame dominated the first quarter and a half. Correct. That was another conversation we had this week. Game. Should have been 17 nothing in the yeah. ACC top Easy. game. Easy. But that was the whole point with that. Is like you can't be gone for two months at a time and then in the winter and then two months at a time in the summer yeah. and be able to control those parameters. You know, and, and that's the thing is that's what makes it – that's what separates a guy with a great record and a guy that's a great coach. Yes. yes. And so the final piece that we discussed, Sean, was about being an elite recruiter. Yeah. And this is another one. The answer is easy. Yes, you have to be an elite recruiter, but There's different the, types of the yeah. What defines an elite recruiter? Yes. Like here's yes. the here's the question I ask for people in the chat: Do you think Dabo Sweeney is an elite rec- recruiter? And now, when I say elite recruiter, I don't think it means the head coach is an elite recruiter. The head coach has to create an elite recruiting operation. That's right. what makes a head coach an elite recruiter right. in my yes. terms. It's not yes. just he was a great closer. It's the operations got to be to the point where you can close on the best players. Yeah. And so then what makes an elite recruiter to me? Because somebody said, said the only one person said yes. One person said no. So Dabo won two titles has been in the playoffs all but two years. He's not elite recruiter. Right. So, well, 
I, so I'd, I'd ask the person says no why right? right so so kirk roberts said no and this is it's fair it's this right. i asked Dabo because i knew i would get different responses because right. we say but it's like well duh right you know with kirby it's duh right right but but Dabo, it's not so if you right. don't think Dabo's an elite recruiter why why do you think he's not an elite recruiter and i've had this conversation with people and it's usually they point to his recruiting classes and they say, well, you know, he's never had a number one class. He's only had a couple top five classes, much less a number one class. Yeah. And then the point to, well, the ACC, blah, blah, blah. Well, nobody else in the ACC is. I mean, why is Clemson the program that's doing that? What's it? What is it about Clemson, who hasn't been good in 30 years, that all of a sudden made them this way if he's not elite? Well, the ACC was down. Okay. Yeah. The ACC, why wasn't it North Carolina? Yeah. Why wasn't it NC State? Why wasn't it Florida State? You know? Uh, Jimbo never had the success, su- su- sustained success that Dabo's had, and the yeah. ACC was just as bad back then as it. Well, not just as bad, but close, close to being as bad then as it is now. And it's usually because he doesn't finish with top five classes, because that's not what makes you a great recruiter. Yeah. What makes you a great recruiter again is are you able to build a team the right way? Yeah. And that is about. Sometimes it's like like Nick Saban doesn't just take uh, – we've talked about this. I think Alabama's classes have been a little bit inflated by once a kid signs with Alabama, he gets a bump. We've uh, proven that, right? And and so – but what Saban has done such a great job of, and this is why his early classes that led to his first title weren't ranked as high yeah, because they weren't getting that same bump. But what he was great at identifying was that guy that – I can see a Javier Arenas and a Kareem Jackson and recognize what they bring to the table. I can yeah. I can see an Eric Anders and recognize that this kid brings value to my team just as much as I can recognize the value that Julio Jones brings to the table. Absolutely. And not every kid is that way. It's recognizing I'm at Clemson. I can't just go everywhere and get the kind of guys that Georgia and Alabama is consistently. I get some. I mean, Clemson gets their fair share of five stars. But I can't get as many. So I can't, I can't always do this. So let me go out to Kansas and find this Isaiah Simmons kid who's a three-star recruit. Let me go down to Louisiana and steal Travis Etienne, a three-star recruit out of LSU's backyard. And then combine them with the five-star Trevor Lawrence. Right. You know, and, and to me, that's what makes you a great recruiter is win those big ones when you can, but can you develop your whole team? Because we've seen Florida State recruit, you know, up until recently, a lot of highly ranked kids, but they were never, they never had the teams. Go back and look at some of those 14, 15, and 16 Florida State teams, and you're going to see some teams who are very highly ranked from a recruiting standpoint, but never maximize that potential. Why? Because Jimbo's not the coach that Dabo is. Yeah. Because Dabo's an elite recruiter and Jimbo is not. And and so to me, Sean, like it's about can you maximize the potential of your program? Not so much are you recruiting because there's there's only a small handful of schools that can recruit the way Alabama. It's like Alabama, it's like George, Ohio State has that potential. To a degree, Notre Dame does. Florida State's a school that has that potential. USC has that potential. Texas has that potential. There just aren't a lot of teams other than that that can consistently recruit top five classes like that. And what you're saying is there are only a few programs that have a minuscule margin of error. Uh, Flip that. That don't. don't. You meant to say don't, Yeah. yeah. And... Alabama has a much larger – dude, their margin of error is because of the depth and the number of guys, four- and five-star guys they get every year. Georgia's the same way. Clemson, let's go to the first game they had last year. If the quarterback is Trevor Lawrence, we're not talking about Georgia being in the college football playoffs because that Clemson defense was real. Mm-hmm. 
Don't forget, that game was a, a defensive struggle for both teams. Georgia scored the same amount of offensive touchdowns as Clemson did. As Clemson did. So, and they struggled all year because of the quarterback play. Right. Well, this is how Clemson wins games. This is what has been set up by Dabo Swing. My quarterback play is going to dictate on offense, I'm going to be able to control tempo, and I'm going to be able to play to my defense because of my quarterback. I can't go out and get five-star offensive linemen like Nick Saban, but I can build a good enough offensive line with an athletic enough quarterback that they can make plays, and every now and then we can pop you in the run game because we have a difference maker at running back. It's what you're talking about, building a team. He found a way to build a championship team that's his way that can be done consistently at Clemson. But if you miss on that quarterback, all of a sudden, you don't have a tour that you can pull off the bench as a freshman to come in and have time of the championship game mm-hmm. and turn the tide. Like, you don't have that at Clemson. You have that at Alabama. Right. So, you know, everybody kind of laughs at Clemson and is like, Clemson really hasn't gone anywhere. Right. Because if Kay Klubnik is that dude, and he comes in as a freshman and makes the same impact that Trevor Lawrence did, watch out. Because right. their defense is once again going to be dynamic. And that's the foundation of their program. That's the way they win. Mm-hmm. It goes back to what you said about Bill Snyder. You know, normal recruiting, he probably wasn't considered an elite recruiter. But when it came right. to junior college and when it right. came to getting those cohesive guys, when it came to getting the Michael Bishops, when it came to getting those receivers that you could find that can run a 4-2, doesn't look like they can run a 4-2, but all of a sudden they're right. making big plays against Nebraska. They're making big plays against Oklahoma. And the next thing you know, Kansas State is a top five team for right. like five straight years. Like, where is this coming from? Right. You can go find the Michael Bishops, yes. the yes. Colin Kleins, the yes. guys like that. Right. He found a way to build a winning program where he is. Like right. this is we can make it work this way. Right. And so Notre Dame is in the process of figuring that out as well. Right. Like, this is the way we can win. We don't have to be like Alabama. We don't have to be like Georgia. We don't have to recruit like them Mm -hmm. the same way they do. But if we recruit this way, based upon these parameters, we can get the job done. Yep. So that's the interesting and beautiful thing about sports. And whether it's a head coach managing, I think basketball is the one sport where if you look at the championships, I, the vast majority of the championships are connected to an elite coach. Yeah. In yeah. basketball. Look at, uh, the guy that just retired, Jay Wright, is a perfect example. Perfect example. How many people could win multiple national titles at Villanova? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, for most of our lifetime, the one title they won was like the flukiest thing ever. It was like, oh, my gosh, it's crazy upsets. It's Villanova. Yeah. You know what and I mean? He didn't run this program like Duke. Mm-mm. He didn't recruit like Duke. His was all about development and get one, maybe two top players. Right. Right. And his whole thing, I could tell you that he won the national championship. And the very next year is when he started to, you know, think about leaving. Like right. when he won the national championship and Dante DiVincenzo decided he was going to go to the NBA mm-hmm. draft. It's like, seriously. You one, right. Yeah. Really? Right. Did he even start for that team? No, he's a right. six man. Right. 
And that's when Jay, Jay Wright recognizes, like, okay, this is – You can't build teams the way you no, used to build teams. No, no. And that's why John Beeline got out. I yes. think that's why Jay Wright's getting out. You know, I just I, – I agree. I agree. Because so here, here, Is that someone you would say was elite or is elite that doesn't get the credit for being elite? Dabo, I think. With a fan. More so fans. Okay. More so fans. But I think Kirk Ferentz is one. You know, I think I think he's been so good for so long that I don't think yeah. people recognize how good he is. He's turned yeah. he turned down Notre Dame. He was yeah. this is a I'm ninety nine point nine percent certain fact. that this is a fact. Yes, he was offered the job before Brian Kelly in two thousand nine. He was given a very small window to take the job. Right, this wasn't going to be a drawn out thing. Same with Bob Stoops. Right, but he was offered a job and he said no. He didn't. He he wanted to stay at Iowa. Kirk French could have been gone to bigger places if he wanted to. I think he was a guy that, that doesn't get the credit for the, the kind of coach that he is. Yeah. I think, I think, I, you know, the one guy that I've had a hard time is Mike Gundy. Cause I think there's been some teams that Mike Gundy's had that didn't reach their potential. Short. Yeah. yeah. But I think overall, he's been so consistently good at a school that's been hard to be consistently good at. But I'm not quite ready to put him there. There's some people in the chat that have brought up uh, Mike Gundy. I think a guy that doesn't get nearly enough credit for being an elite coach, even with a title, is Jim Trestle. I don't think Jim Trestle got the respect he did as an elite at the time, like top two to three coach, because he's another guy that inherited a program that did not have a winning culture. Now, they had talent, but he did not have a winning culture. Yeah, And he established, like, from the moment he got hired, that, that the culture had changed with that comment of, in 300 whatever days, we're going to go, you know what I mean? You're going to go up to end. You'll be proud right. of your team. Yeah, yeah. Right. Right. And and he established that culture and then just the consistency that they had. I mean, you look at the team that, that lost to LSU for the title. That was not a super talented team outside of the running back. Outside of Beanie Wells. I mean, they had like Todd Beckman was their quarterback, right? Yeah. Like yeah. they had some guys, but, you know, they, they maximized their potential as a program. I mean, winning – Winning the game that they won against uh, Miami, I'd say, and I think the I think the thing that hurt Trussell is the way that they lost to Florida in 06. Because oh, they yeah. were considered the, the yeah. team to beat. They get they take the opening kickoff back. And you're yeah. like, okay. And then just got rolled. Yeah, rolled by Florida. And then the next year they get beat by LSU. Because they only got like that one title. But I would say like, I don't. I don't think Ohio State was at a place at that time where I mean they were still kind of growing as a program. There were some other things going on. And part of it was him, you know, and those type of things. But you're being disrespectful, Brian. You're not, you're not you're not giving my squad credit. You know, the demise of Jim Trestle was the day that Juice Williams and Illinois walked into the horseshoe now. Now give get in 07. Give my guy, give my Illini some credit. Go. And didn't they go to the Rose Bowl that year, right? Yes, we did. did they go to the Rose Bowl that year? Yes, we did. Yes, we did. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. When, I think the, the the true demise of Jim Trestle was when he recruited Terrell Pryor. And Which he allowed Terrell no Pryor one, to just. No one would have thought from a talent standpoint right. that that was the wrong thing. To but do. he allowed Terrell Pryor to get away with things he had never allowed anyone else to get away with, yeah. especially a quarterback. Mm-hmm. And he lost his team. And that's why they, they never quite reached their full potential on a couple of those. And they were still really good. Yeah. Don't get me wrong. But uh, he's he's a guy that I think, I, you know, it's it, if you look at like the game now, 
you know, I, I think we, when we look, when we define great coaches, we're so, so focused on the recency aspect of it. Yeah. Yeah. You know, like what they do last year, you know what I mean? Like uh, that, that gets kind of frustrating and you see these guys jump way up. I think a, a, a guy, Gary Patterson's a guy that I don't think gets enough credit for the job he did. I mean, he basically played in multiple big 12 title games with a mountain West conference team. Yeah. I mean, I mean that's, that's uh, impressive. I'll have another guy I'll throw in there that when I say his name, I think people say, oh, yeah, but he's not a name that immediately comes to your mind. Mm-hmm. Barry Alvarez. Like, yeah. yo, yeah. what he did at Wisconsin, man, look, that program was nothing mm-hmm. before Barry Alvarez got there. Yep. Nothing. And if you talk to players on the 88 team and the 89 team, they will tell you they had two head coaches. Yep. Respectfully. They will tell you they had two head coaches. Yep. And that's the amount of respect Lou had for. You nailed it. You nailed Lou allowed that to happen. Yes. It's not like Barry. It wasn't like Harry. He stand and Brian Kelly's relationship. Right. Right. Where Kelly didn't want Harry to have the power he had, but Kerry said, Harry said, I don't care. I'm doing it my way. (laughs) Right. It wasn't, it wasn't that it was, it was because Lou was a control freak, but he wanted people that could do the job. Yeah. He just wasn't gonna have a lot of tolerance if he didn't. Right. And that's why we were asked a question last month, you know, who should they have hired when Lou left? And I said, there's only one answer to that, that, that that's acceptable. And they should have hired Bear Alvarez. Yeah. I mean, that was the only answer, Yeah, you know, but they were going to do that. Right. Yeah. There's only sometimes you can say, well, there's multiple right answers. Not in this instance. There's no. one right answer. When Lou left in '96, there was only one right answer on who to hire, and it was not. It was not Bob Davy. No, it was Barry Alvarez. You're 100 right. Here's a guy that I don't think gets enough respect because it's all about the record. People look at the record, and Lou Samoji told me this. He goes, "What people don't understand is how impressive Era Parsegian's 500 record in Northwestern was." <laughs> You know what I mean? Like, it sounds like a silly thing to say, but that's what Lou would always Trust say me. is. I know. Right. And, and, um, and it was like, okay, yeah, I get it. But a guy that's the modern day version of that. And I'm not yeah. saying he's era, but I'm saying a guy that doesn't have the, the record that blows you away that I think is a great coach is Dave Clawson at Wake Forest. I'll agree with that. I mean, they've been in, they've been in six straight bowl games, mm-hmm. six straight bowl games. And they're four and two in those bowl games, by the way. Yeah. Wake Forest. That's not an easy place to recruit to, at yeah. all. And you know, to me, can't beat Clemson. That's that's right. Kryptonite. That's it. Right. But the talent gap between those two teams is enormous. It's enormous. Yeah. And their style of play that helps them in so many of those other things is the worst thing you could do. That slow ride mm-hmm. that works against everybody else. That does not work against Clemson because right. they're just going to be in your face before you know you know what's going on. And, and so, and, you know, again, his records, 51 and 48, they were three and nine his first two years. And the only anomaly is the four and five year in 2020, but that was a weird COVID year where Wake Forest was just, I mean, this player out canceling this game, canceling that, that, that game, all that kind of stuff. He's another guy that I think Sean is, is very underrated. I don't know if I'd call him elite, but he, he's in that conversation. Somebody asked earlier about fit. I think that's important too. I don't know if Bill Snyder could have had the success at Notre Dame that he had at Kansas State. 
No, I, I don't know if Dave Clawson could have the success that Notre Dame has had at Wake Forest. I have my yeah. doubts. Yeah, and 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 we've seen that Tom O'Brien leaving Boston College for NC State, dumb. Randy Edsel leaving UConn for Maryland, dumb. You know, you got to know who you are too. And and like you know, like Dabo. I don't know if Dabo. Dab, I mean, Dabo couldn't do what he's done at Clemson at Notre Dame. Like this chick wouldn't work, right? You've got to know who you are, and yeah. I think that's that's a big that's a big part of it too. We we did have a couple super chat, Sean, that I wanted to pull up here. As, I as have one to throw by. Go ahead. I can say this because being from the Chicagoland area, I know one guy that definitely, in my opinion, if he had not you know, passed away, you know, suddenly. I know you're going to say. I think he would have been an elite coach. Yep. And I, that's can I – can Go ahead. Okay. No. Go ahead. I wanted to see if I could guess, but – Go ahead. Randy Walker. Yes. That's why – that he is yes. the reason I have told people Pat Fitzgerald is an overrated coach. Yes. Pat Fitzgerald walked in a good situation that Randy Walker left him. Let me tell you something. Randy Walker was so beloved – in the city of Chicago, which is a non-collegiate, is a professional sports town. He had everyone loving and following Northwestern football. Mm-hmm. I'm talking about everyone. You had other Big Ten some charisma, other Big Ten alumni that lived in Chicago that cheered for their team, but cheered for Northwestern at the same time, mm-hmm. as long as they weren't facing their team. It, it was that good. He mm-hmm. was so charismatic, so beloved within the community. And, yes, Gary Barnett left him a, a pretty good situation. He, yeah. he left him a pretty good – Gary yeah. Barnett laid a pretty good – His last couple of recruiting classes were a little – Like he was looking to kind of – you know what I mean? He was looking to yeah. – But like, Gary, Gary yeah. Barnett took the program from here to – Right. He took it. To, he was the he was the one. He was that coach when they went to the Rose Bowl, Rose Bowl. and Altry, yeah. right? Yeah. So, but Randy Walker took that and he didn't let it take another dip, right? And it was going to continue the trend. Yeah, and he brought some personality. Absolutely. Or Gary Absolutely. Burnett was just kind of, you know. Yeah, yeah. He, he brought he some personality. The wrong way. That's why he didn't last. Right. That long at Evanston, but Randy Walker would have been a star. So I don't know how long yeah. he would have re- remained at Northwestern. Because right. I think he was a guy that was yeah, – Yeah, he was yeah. a star. He was definitely yeah. a star. Kyle Whittingham is one. It's a good one. Here's a guy that I don't think gets enough credit, and I and I think part of how you look at a team is what they did before you got there and after you left. There's this thought that Texas is, should be an easy place to win at, but it hasn't been for most of its existence. Yeah. Texas went through a period with Darryl Royal where they were a great team, but even then they'd get to bowl games and get their brains beat in by Notre Dame. Right. I mean, but you look at what Texas was before with like John Malkovic and those kind of guys, Makovic and those kind of guys. And you look at what Texas has been since Mac left. I don't think people appreciate enough what Mac Brown did during his tenure at Notre Dame, even some of the year or at, at Texas, even some of the years where they were disappointed in him yeah, because he was going 10 and three every year. I bet you you wish you had those years now. <laughs> I mean, you know what I mean? Like here, here was Max. Here's what Max Mac did from 1998 to 2009. That's a span of 12 years. Okay, let let me let me just give some context first. So the year before he got hired in 1997, they went four and seven. Mm. The year before that, they went eight and five, 
10, 2, and 1 the year before that, 8 and 4 the year before that, 5, 5, and 1 the year before that. So they had one good year, and the other years they were not good. All right. Uh, 6 and 5 the year before that, 5 and 6 the year before that. You get the point? They weren't good. Yeah. Matt goes 9 and 3, 9 and 5, 9 and 3, 11 and 2, 11 and 2, 10 and 3, 11 and 1, 13 and 0, 10 and 3, 10 and 3, 12 and 1, 13 and 1. Wow. Over a 12 year span. Won a title, had four top five top five finishes, yeah. five top five finishes. Yeah, and I still say has a second national title if Colt McCoy doesn't get hurt. Colt McCoy doesn't get hurt. Yeah, right. Yeah, right. Well, I mean, does he get the first one if uh, they put Reggie Bush in the game for for sure? I mean, maybe that's that's maybe. football, right. man. It's, maybe exactly. Yeah. yeah. Exactly. But like exactly. that doesn't change the fact that he is definitely underrated right. in an elite coach. I mean, just the fact that he's very similar to Bill Snyder, right? Right. Like North Carolina reaches back, like you know what? The last sense of stability we had was right when Mac was here. So right. let's bring him back. Right. You know, and they've been young, but they should be. You know, if they get. Decent quarterback play this year. They should be a much better football team. Right. I mean, they, they've had a they've had a win a, win, a five hundred to winning record in his three years. Which, yeah. if you consider how bad they were, yeah, before that. Yeah. And again, and even more impressive part is what he did at North Carolina his first stint. I mean, people forget about that. I mean, he had some good North Carolina teams during in tenure when Florida State was really good. I'm I mean, the ACC was, was pretty decent. He came in recruiting studs. Yes. Oh yeah, I've started climbing. Julius Peppers, and Dre Julius Bly, Pepper, yes. you know, yes, yes. I mean, he he was he was he had some good years. I mean, ten and three, eight and four, seven and five, ten and two, ten and one, eleven and one. I'm a, and I'm gonna say that 1997 uh, North Carolina team was really good. Yeah, really good. They were a quarterback. Those teams were a quarterback away from being great. Yeah. Because they're trying to beat some great teams with Oscar Davenport at quarterback. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Like, yeah. uh, you know, I mean, they 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 were good. So he's another guy that I think is in that conversation. We'll see what he can kind of do these next couple of years. We did have a couple couple of super chats, Sean. I want to get to before we get out of here. All right, Kirk D A Anderson Fitness is late to the chat. Don't think one can be an elite coach in college football unless you're an elite recruiter. Elite means winning a national championship. You can't do that unless you're an elite recruiter, in my opinion. I think I think he's kind of going into that. You can only be an elite coach if you win a championship. And I just I don't I don't think that's accurate. Because yeah, I think you can win a championship and not be an elite coach. I think yeah. you know, like I I, yeah. I think that that we could point to a, like a lot of teams that, that had mediocre head coaches that want Larry Coker has more rings than Butch Davis. Right? Does anyone want to tell me Larry Coker's a better coach than Butch Davis? Right? Is he a better coach than Bill Snyder? No. I mean, I could I could be here a long time talking about the number of coaches that that he has more rings than Kirk Ferentz that he has Bo Schembechler. So I, I get where you're coming from, Kirk. I think where I would agree with Kirk is there are some programs that I would say that that's how their head coach should be defined. Absolutely. I, if you're at Alabama and you're not doing this, you're not an elite coach. Yeah, Brian Kelly's if, not a better coach. If you're at Notre Dame and you're not doing this, you're yeah. not an elite coach. If you're at yeah. Ohio State and you're not doing this, you're not an elite coach. Nope. But I, I think that we have to be able to expand our horizons to say some guys are elite because what they're doing at their level is nobody else could do. Yeah. Right? Like, again, put Kirby Smart at Kansas State and Bill Snyder in his prime at Georgia now, 
and I don't think Kansas State's nearly as good. And th- this is another thing. John Cooper, elite right. recruiter. Oh, yes. Elite at Ohio State. Yes. Right? He might be top three right. in all right. time, in the program all time, as right. far as recruiting. Oh, yeah. Some Coaching. of those 95 and 96 teams were Man. insane. Insane. But coaching? Mm-mm. Nah. Yeah. And, and I, I will say this. I do think you have to be an elite recruiter to be a national championship coach and an elite with some consistency. Yeah. Yeah. Because I don't think Gene Chizik was an elite recruiter. I think he they got one elite recruit that just. That changed everything. Yeah. It's like it's like Jim Beheim, who I think is a great coach, but an overrated coach in that, you know, just he was a great. He was a really good coach for a long time, but was he's not Mike Shashevsky. He's not Dean Smith. He's not because he won one title and and it was a year where he had a, a, an, a insane generational player in Carmelo. Yeah. yeah. But like there's a lot of really good teams. Syracuse, you're like, boy, like the remember that Billy Owens team that got beat by Richmond in the first yeah. round. Yeah. There's a lot of games like that under yeah, Jim Beheim. There's no right. way he should have lost the championship game to Indiana. Mm-mm. They were more talented. Mm-hmm. So I, I do think to be an elite coach at a program like that, you kind of kind of have to have some wins, right? Like, and it can't just be like yeah. that one fluky win that you know, or that one year, whatever the case may be. Yeah. So I do think at certain programs you have to. Whereas if you were to give someone at Villanova the same track record over a period of time as Syracuse, I you know. I'd, but then the counter is well, but he built that reputation at Syracuse. Right. Well, that's a valid point. That's, valid that's a valid point. point. Uh, but I just feel like. With my issue with Syracuse was there were some teams at Syracuse like the Billy Owens and Derek Coleman days, especially where, boy, you had you had a golden opportunity, man. Well, and, you know, you know I, I, I give them a pass for the Derek yeah. Coleman team because they did run into the flying Illini. I mean, hey, I, what happened to that a flying Illini team in the Final Four? I uh, see you didn't have to bring that up. I just like, can't we, remember what we didn't have an elite coach. We had two, an elite two words. No, here's what happened to you in the final four. That it's two words, Glenn Rice. No, it actually was Sean Higgins. But does Glenn no, Rice? He, he just hit that one, one shot. Higgins that hit a, that one shot. Pretty big shot. Big shot. Yeah. But Glenn Rice is the reason that they were in that game. I mean, it, he was that still to this day is the best tournament run I've ever seen one from a best. scoring standpoint. From a scoring standpoint, yeah. 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 I mean, yeah. just from a scoring standpoint. Yeah. Uh, Steph came close, but they didn't make it as far. Yeah. Because Steph's that year at Davidson was insane. You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with the fall guy. What are you doing later? Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes. Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Nope. Because I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. 
Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. How do you think Lloyd Carr did as a successor? I mean, he won a national championship. Half of one. Okay, half of one. As, I think Lloyd was a really good coach. Okay. But I, I can't put him in the great category because there was a lot of good years, but not a lot of great years. Hmm. I would I would argue that Lloyd had two great teams. The 97 team was a great team. I mean, they went undefeated, right? right? Uh, they beat an Ohio State team that if we were to look back and go roster for roster, I think you and I would agree was much better team. And, I, and here's the other thing. That's... If you go back and look at that Michigan schedule in, in 1997, they did not win with a fluky schedule. They beat. At, and it, this is rankings at the time. They beat number eight Colorado, uh, who didn't finish great. They beat Notre Dame. They beat number 15 Iowa, number 15 Michigan State, number two Penn State, number 23 Ohio State, number four, or, or excuse me, uh, number 23 Wisconsin, and then number uh, four Ohio State that year. And that Nick Sa- Nick Saban will coach that team, by the way. Yeah, you know, so they, they had a challenging schedule. Now, none of those teams were quite as good as their rankings at the end of the year, but they were all really quality teams. Yeah, and, and of course, then you know you you go and you beat Mike Lee or Mike Price in Washington State in the bowl game. That was a pretty good year, but that that was not a super super talented Michigan team. It was talented. You go, there were some really good football players on that team, especially in the trenches, but it wasn't an elite elite team. And that's kind of my thing with with Coach Carr. I think the 2006 Michigan team was really good as well, like really good. And I I don't think Michigan deserved a chance to play for the national championship that year because they lost to Ohio State. Um, but man, that was still a really good. That was a really good team. Yeah. I just never felt like I never felt like, in my opinion, Sean, that he was consistently getting the most out of his program and when you look at his record you know they had the eight, nine and four eight and four his first two years so he replaced gary moeller right yeah and then you know he had the 12 and 0 team so he but he won that team with the, you know guys that were kind of produced by the first the previous head coach yeah to a degree 10 and 3 10 and 2 9 and 3 8 and 4 10 and 3 10 and 3 9 and 5 9 and 3 7 and 5 11 and 2 9 and 4 like, you know, like, I don't know if I would say that that's like elite success at the University of Michigan. Like you look at like Bo, like how many Rose Bowls did, did Lloyd get to? He got to one, two, three, four in 13 years. Went one and three. So oh, that's not, good. you know, <laughs> but Bo wasn't very good in the Rose Bowl either. Yeah. Uh, Bo was lost his first five Rose Bowls, but when you look at Bo, here's what Bo did: eight and three, nine and one, eleven and one, ten and one, ten zero and one, ten and one, eight two and two, ten and two, ten and two, ten and two, eight and four, ten and two, nine and three, eight and four, nine and three, six and six, then ten one and one, eleven and two, eight and four, nine two and one, and ten and two. Yeah, I mean, just much more high level success than what he did. And and I'll say this too: you could look at some of those Michigan teams in in the late eighties and say if it wasn't for this one game or this one team that, boy, I'd be curious to see what that team could have done, right? 
I mean, you look at like Michigan's 1988 team. That was a really, really good Michigan team. They lost two games that year. Why? Because they lost to Notre Dame in the opener by two. (laughs) And then they lost to Miami the next week by one. Was blowing Miami out at home. Almost ruined the matchup. Yes. Yes. The one-two matchup for Notre Dame. And, And look, I talked to Wes Pritchett. And he said, we knew we could push Miami around. Right. He said, when we walked out on the field against Michigan, we knew it was right. going to be a, a man, a heavyweight right. fight for four quarters. Right. And he started naming an offensive lineman. And I was like, yo, you're talking about NFL raw right. pros. Right. Like, yeah. Yep. So I just, I, I can't, I, Lloyd was a really good coach. He was a good coach for a long time. Yeah. And, a, and a good guy from from everything I could ever tell. But I, I can't put him in that great category just because, again, he didn't have enough high low. They were just, they were just good. Yeah. The occasional really good team. Mm-hmm. Where, you know, with Bo, I mean, you look at Lloyd, they had, what, one, two, three, four, five top ten finishes in, in 13 years. I mean, Bo went through a stretch, Sean, from 1969 to 1978 where they never finished outside of the top ten. That's incredible. In his last five years, they finished in the top 10 four out of five years. So, Bo was just a better coach. Now, and he's another guy that does, I I think, he never won a title. Does that mean he wasn't an elite coach? I think we can have that discussion. We can have that conversation. Maybe some of those teams should have won a title. And and so, but he was, he was, I mean, he's still the pinnacle of of how you define a Michigan coach to me. Yeah. And, And so... That that's an interesting one. We had, we had another super chat from Will Clow. Thank you very much for this. Will is Michael Mayer more of a Tyler Eifert or a Kyle Rudolph? I think he's a mixture of the two, which is kind of what makes him unique. Yeah, he's more he's he's more athletic than Kyle Rudolph. Yeah, but he's similar in size. I think that he's that thicker question, than yeah Mayer, question, but not quite as athletic as Eifert. For me, just how good Tyler Eifert was. Yeah. I think Tyler Eifert is underrated in a lot of people's eyes. Yeah. When you really think about it. So like, I would love to see Tyler Eifert, like you said, in today's college yeah. football. Yeah. Cause yeah. he kind of started that tight end trend of yeah, he the big tight end that guys. can. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, he basically, I remember, I remember going into the national championship game and Nick Saban pretty much saying, I'm putting my best defensive back on. Right. Like I'm not putting and they did. on him. They did. I'm putting my number one corner. They put Milner. They put D yeah. Milner on him the whole game. The whole game. Yeah. Not many tight ends are drawn that kind of. No. Are drawn that kind of thing. You know. Here, here's, here's a some more super chats or uh, some more questions that we have. Sean, if you see any super chats, you can, can you can you pull them up? Yeah. Josh Wiseman said, please. What was Marcus Freeman's reputation as defensive coordinator on the spectrum of control freak to delegator? In terms of his assistance, in my opinion, the right balance will be a major determining factor for success. Sean, I think that's one of the reasons that I'm optimistic about Marcus Freeman's potential as a head coach. Mm-hmm. Is he's not a control freak, but he likes to control things. And there's a difference. Someone who likes to control things is someone who I, I have a way I want it done, but I want to hire someone that's going to then do it that way. And not have a control freak is constantly looking over their shoulder, you know, and and you need to find that balance. And then I'm going to hold you to the expectation. And if you don't reach my expectation, then I'm going to have to move on. 
And I think that's kind of how he was as a defensive coordinator. I expect my coaches to coach their position. Where do you think this whole, I want my head, assistant coaches to be the head coaches of their position group come from? That's how he was. Yeah. Hey, look, you know, Mickens, I need you to get these guys coached up. Hey, Crystal Lear, I need you to get these guys coached up. Here's my expectations. Now go get her done. Let's see. We have one more super chat. I see you are in with Irish Luck. Thank you for the super chat. That was weird. Like it just immediately like kicked me out. I know. I just went to the next super chat that I found. Let's appreciate you. That was yeah. fun. I, I got I got back in there pretty quick though. But it just went away. It said error has con, can occur. Try again. Well, go ahead, finish it, finish your statement up. No, I, we'll that was it. It was just, okay. you know, I think the fact that he is someone who he wants you to coach. He wants you to do your job. Now he's yeah. gonna set a standard for it and hold you accountable. I hope holds people accountable if they don't meet that standard. Yeah, but still allow you to. That's what I always want. I wanted a head coach that said Driscoll. This the bar for success is high. Now go get it done. Yeah. That's what I wanted, right? Like let me do what I can do. Don't be looking over my shoulder, always dictating what you want me to do. Because then I'm not really coaching. I'm just your. I'm just your assistant. Yeah. Like I'm your. I mean, I'm like your caddy. You're doing all the work. You're just like I'm getting to hold your clubs for you. Let yeah. me go coach. You know, and I think he's going to be that way. Now we'll see if that works. So. I see you are in with Irish yeah. love. Thank, thank you for the super chat. chat on that, by the way. I saw it behind. If we get Bell and Gray, I will argue that I think we have done well the last three years. Ryan Barnes under this coaching is going to be a dog, and Philip Riley can provide great depth. And they beat Washington for Chance Tucker. Yeah. I mean, we forget about that, you know. I I I it's kind of weird. It's kind of weird, Sean how Mark is, how Mike Mickens is perceived by some Notre Dame fans. And it's like, I actually think he's done a really good job when you consider the roster he inherited. Yeah. The fact his first year on the recruiting trail, he was not allowed to leave campus to recruit his whole first year at Notre Dame. Think about that because COVID hit like that spring. They had like one on-campus visit before, I think before COVID hit and that whole thing went crazy that's a very good point you know and and then you look at nick mcleod who was kind of a castaway at nc state he brings him in turns him into an all acc player which he never was at nc state same conference yeah much better player under mike mickens than he ever was at nc state he had to he they went over a two-year period they had a top 20 defense with clarence lewis as a starting cornerback for them for two years Yeah, and I think he's gotten the most out of Clarence. It's just as we've said, Clarence wasn't ready for that spot yet. Right. You know, right. The, to have Tariq Bracy go through his mental meltdown in 2020 and then rally back to be a pretty good slot corner for Notre Dame last mm-hmm. year. Yeah, uh, shows good coaching. Yeah, and you know, and then to take a, a a raw converted wide receiver and turn him into a guy that people are talking about is going to be a day one, day two draft pick next year. Right. Guy's done a pretty good job. And then you look at the cornerback class he signed last year from a, just a recruiting ranking standpoint, in my opinion, is the best class they've had in a decade. And now they're on the verge of getting a couple more top 100 guys. Yeah. I think the guy's done a pretty good job. Is there more I want to see out of him? Sure. I, I need to see him develop the kids he's recruiting now. He needs to get yeah. my, Ryan Barnes going. He needs to get Philip Riley going. He needs to get Chance Tucker yeah. going. Get yeah. Jaden Mickey and Benjamin Morrison, right? But I think he's done a pretty good job so far. But the perception is that he's considered by some – a weak link and it's a little bit um strange to me why that is i don't quite understand that one 
I really don't get it. Honestly, the 24 class is, I think, where he really shows his wares, in my opinion. 24? 24, 24. Did okay. I say 23? No, you said 24. I thought you might have meant 23. So you're talking about like oh, no, next no. year's class. 24, okay. yeah. I think the guys like Jalen and Bakoy, like the top guys, I think he really, really has forged really good relationships with some of the top guys. And so I'm talking about five-star guys. In the 24 class, mm-hmm. they really love O'Leary and Nickens mm-hmm. and the entire staff. Yeah. Jalen Mbakwe, especially the kid. Right. I mean, he's literally in the backyard of Alabama. And I would say right now, Notre Dame is definitely one of his top schools. I mean, he's been to Alabama probably about four times for camps because he's mm-hmm. right there. But he's he's yet to get to Notre Dame. Right. And they're already in the top. Right. His thoughts. You know what I mean? So mm-hmm. guys like that. Um, oh, what's the kid? He's not my kid. Ryan talks to him a lot. In the 24 class? In the 24 class. The um, Emilio Agard. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. There's one kid that also, you know, Anton Jackson is somebody that they almost – Got on campus. They were close, they and then he committed close, to Georgia. And yeah. he committed to Georgia. But that's just the respect that's being put out there. Right. Jalen Thompson's another kid. Like, right. These 24 kids are taking note. But he's got to close on them. He does. Right. And that's going to be the next test, right. right? That's the next test. I mean, look, if – let me tell you something. We need to throw a special parade for uh, Coach Heastan if he gets – these last two guys left in the board. Yeah. Like, just get one is, of them and it's like, okay. If he gets both of them, yeah. This is like, okay. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> this is the Notre Dame offensive line we've been used to. This is the hall we're talking yeah. about. But it goes back to the first thing we talked about today wide receiver, cornerback with a 23 and 24 class. Chancey Stucky knows the task. Mike Mickens knows mm-hmm. the task. So, I think they solved some of that in the 23 class in the next coming weeks. I think the mindset will start to change the way things play out over the next two weeks. Hey, in the next week and a half, they could end up with two guys right. in both rooms yeah. as additions. And then you start locking in on the 24 guys, you know, when you go into the season and getting them in for game days and things of that mm-hmm. nature, I think – the future is really bright. Yeah. But both questionable positions yeah. of the past. Right. When it came to recruit. Did you mention Caleb Beasley during your during your talk as well about 24 corners? I did not. And we I mean, that's the point, though, right? Like yeah. there's a I lot of the dudes on the board, Beasley, right? Who was here right. for the Irish invasion, was the right. best player on the field. Right. And I didn't even mention him. And he has a fan too. Once again, right. another DB from the 24 class that right. loves Notre Dame out of the state of Tennessee. And yeah. he is, you talk about a big, physical, fast defensive back. Right. He's all of that. Right. All of that. Last couple, real quick. Alan Watson, does Notre Dame have a weak link, weak link this year? Don't see one. I don't, I don't know. I don't about know. Special teams right now. Huh? I don't know about special teams right well, now. Well, kicker. As far as the kickers. Kicker and punter. Yeah. 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 yeah I don't that's, know. Yeah. Offense, defense, I don't know if I'd see a weak link per se. I mean, I think the second corner, the other corner opposite Cam Hart's a concern. Yes, yeah, a question. What I call it a weak link 
in regards to winning a title, sure. I think yeah. the experience of quarterback is a concern, right? Yeah. We need to see Tyler do it. We, we're confident he will. Uh, receiver still a question. So I think I don't think I'd say there's a weak link, but there are some questions, some areas where I still question, are they good enough to compete Absolutely. for a title there? Absolutely. That's what I would say. So Absolutely. if your standard's a title, then sure, you could you could throw it into that conversation. I think the area that I'm most concerned about, Sean, I think you kind of nailed it, is the kicking operation. Kicking and punting is a big question mark right now. Yeah. Big question mark right now. And I think that's one that I need to see kind of how it goes. And thank you for the super chat, Alan. And here's going to be the last one, Sean. I just had to get this in from Toe Jam. Head coach, Brian Kelly, first ballot unanimous college football Hall of Fame inductee. Which accent will he use in his acceptance speech? Boston. That's just that's just a level of pettiness that I think uh, is very appropriate for this particular conversation. Yes. Yes. I think it depends on uh, what kind of success he has uh, at yeah, LSU. Yeah. Funny. Yeah. <laughs> Head 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 craw head crawfish says yeah. that's really. We shall see. Well, everybody, that was a really really entertaining show. Sean, yeah. appreciate you for joining me today. I appreciate you carrying the ball there for a second when I got kicked out of there for some odd reason. Make sure you are locked into the Irish Breakdown message board at boards.irishbreakdown.com. Yeah. Uh, we had a nice little uh, little gift party last night. Got yeah. some good news. So uh, that was always fun. You'll you'll see that there. And then, of course, hit that like button, hit that subscribe button, hit the notification bell, share this podcast. And I'm going to ask a big favor right now from everybody. If you are listening right now and you have not subscribed to the Irish Breakdown channel, please do so. We are 46 people away from 10,000 subscribers. And I know some of you haven't hit that subscribe button yet. So if you are watching now, whether it's live or when we record it, and you have not hit that like button, as Will says, smash the like button. Josh also said it, smash the like button, IB Nation, because we are at 46 away, Sean. We are at 9,955. I'm sorry, somebody just said subscribe. So we're now 45 away nice. from the number. So uh, help us get there because that's obviously just it's it doesn't do anything as far as I know. Other than like, wow, in the last year and a half, we've taken this thing. When we really launched this in early January, Sean, Vince and I were talking about this yesterday, we were around 300 subscribers. Like That's in January of 2021, we were around 300 subscribers, and now we're close to 10,000. So very and, – and, and unsubscribing and subscribing doesn't help. It just keeps the number the same. Keeps it going, yep. Uh, yes, yes. And so – um we really appreciate all the support, 9956. So we had two people that are listening right now that subscribe. So we appreciate you all very much. But uh, help us get to that number and continue to help us grow by doing the things below, sharing podcasts, and letting your fellow Notre Dame fans know that this is the place to be. There's a lot of nonsense that's spread around there about what Irish Breakdown is all about. And every single time somebody comes to check us out, they're like, wow, that was insane. That's not how it is. This place is where the intel is. This is where the analysis is. This is where the discussion is. And there's no place like it. And we appreciate all of you being a part of it. And we are still, Sean, we are just getting started. We yep. have only covered the two full seasons of Notre Dame football, if you think about it. Two yep. full seasons. And one of them was the COVID year. So we're really going to our third full season. It's been a ton of fun watching the growth uh, of the team, of the crew, everything. So we appreciate all of you for helping us get to that point. And, uh, again, we're two years in. We're going to be doing this thing for a long time. So everybody – Thank you so much for joining us. Have a great rest of your weekend. We may have an impromptu 
uh, mailbag tomorrow. We'll have to see uh, how that goes about. And uh, we're going to try to make that happen tomorrow because we didn't get to everything yesterday. So uh, that's why he didn't need to hit that notification bell, Sean, because if we do an impromptu Sunday show, that's know. the only way you're going to know. Yep. And, you know, that's how it's going to be. So appreciate you, everybody. Have a great day. Thank you, Sean, everyone, for joining us and the Irish Breakdown Podcast. Go baseball.